added time is supported by Fitbit. Get real-time insights on you and your world with the Fitbit Versa 2, the all-new premium smartwatch with Amazon Alexa built in, your personalised sleep score and a 5-plus day battery life. Good morning. This is John O'Sullivan standing in for Malachi Clarkin on the Added Time podcast. And uh, we're looking forward now to uh, New Zealand and Ireland at the weekend. Can Ireland do something they've never managed previously uh, and win a World Cup quarter final? I'm here with Mary Hannigan. Good morning, Mary. Morning, John. I almost called you Malachi. Sorry. It's okay. I'm sure I look like him from that distance. Uh, it is a feel of a kind of Christmas week here to this um, and it's a question of whether the Irish rugby team get the brand new bike or the giant jigsaw at the weekend um, we have Ga- uh, Gavin Comiskey and Jerry Thornley on the line good morning boys good afternoon good evening uh, yes of course good yes good evening as uh, you guys will uh, are obviously are in Tokyo I'm just going to come to Jerry first the Irish team was announced this morning and uh, it's along familiar lines and what are your thoughts about uh, the side that Joe Schmidt has selected well um, I I, I wrote a piece um, based on the team that was going to come through uh, embargoed for the paper last night and I was waiting for it. I said, damn, I'll go ahead and write the piece anyway. And I think it's safe to say even the dogs on Collins Street could have picked this 1-15 <laughs> to 15, and even the eight players on the bench as well. It kind of picks itself. It's, um, it's a dozen of the side that played against the All Blacks in November last. All but, all but three changes, which I think makes probably Ireland the most um, settled side in the tournament. I can't imagine anybody else as settled this stage of the tournament. It was along predictable lines, really, because uh, Joe Schmidt has uh, gone with um, experience and Rob Carney ahead of Jordan Lamar at the pullback. He's gone, as we expected myself and Gav the other day, with Robbie Henshaw in midfield alongside Gary Ringrose. And he's gone with the same back row that played against the All Blacks uh, last November as well. And Peter Armani, Josh Nandefleer and C.B. Standard. What this also means, of course, is that Ireland have got a very good bench, I think. With uh, Jacob Coyne, Andrew Porter, and Miles Scanlon in the front row, Tyke Byrne and Reese Willis uh, in the back five of the forwards, uh, Luke McGrath, Joey Carby, Luke Sharp last time out, and, and Jordan Larmer for impact as well. So I think it's a it's a really good 23, and it, uh, I think it shows that how settled the side, like I said, Ireland are. Uh, did Joe say anything in his press conference about when he was asked about the decisions he had to make, or was it that specific? No, he was. He was asked about that. He said initially four or five, maybe half a dozen close selection calls. He mentioned those that have missed out, such as Larmer not starting, Andrew Conway in really good form, not making the 23. Um, he talked about selection midfield and how Chris Farrell had gone very well um, in, in this tournament to date. He's gone. So he did. He mentioned John Klein as well as a possible replacement. Um, Tyke Byrne winning that call. He mentioned Jordy, Jordy Murphy. I remind us that Jordy Murphy is two from two against the All Blacks, but he he would say that wasn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, ultimately. Yeah, he was. Ju- he was just eating up the clock, wasn't he? <laughs> Like us, <laughs> Gav. I'm going to ask you about the New Zealand team. Also announced this morning some uh, some interesting decisions there as well. You you touched on it earlier on in the week about Brody Retallick only having 30 minutes and Jack Goodhue in the centre, Bowden Barrett at fullback. So will you take us through that? Um, yeah, he uh, Steve Hansen was bullish about uh, Brody Retallick being okay, but he's played 30 minutes since the end of July. Um, they're probably he inferred that's it, that it doesn't matter because Scott Barrett's a great player and he'll come off the bench. But if you if you look at um, the two teams, uh, there's a pretty strong argument to say Ireland are a better team than the team that beat the All Blacks 11 months ago. So okay. I'll get to the All Blacks, don't worry. But Henderson's in for Toner. Mm-hmm. 
Henshaw's in for Aki, and Murray's in for Marmion. That's the changes in the team. So that should give everyone confidence straight away. Also, the All Blacks, right? They don't have um, Damien McKenzie anymore. Um, they have, like, if you go to, like, Ritalik, there's a doubt about him. Um, their bench is awesome, obviously. But Ryan Crotty and Rico Irani, Rico Irani, who's fallen off a cliff form-wise, they can't get into the team. So, like, it, it is, it's not as strong an All Blacks team, and it's a stronger Ireland team. Um that's that's what initially what it looks like. The only thing is their bench, John, uh, Dane Coles, Scott Barrett, Paranara, Todd, Sonny Bill Williams, Jordy uh, Barrett. They're all game changers, every single one of them. Yeah, that's a fair point, Gav. I was going to say that they look like they will get stronger as the game goes on, particularly as you as you pointed out, if, if Ritalik is, is kind of blowing a bit. Scott Barrett has been very, very good. It'll be interesting to see whether... How Ireland target Jack Goodhue? Do you feel that they can get some currency out there in the thirteen channel? I know he's a, he's a very good player going forward. No, he's a weakness. I think. Yeah, I, I think like Schmidt is going to target. Um, he's going to try and man mark Bowden Barrett and man mark Ardis Sarbia. But Sebu Reese and Jack Goodhue, who could end up being match winners, we know this. But he's definitely going to go up in the air against Sebu Reese and try and hurt him. And, try, and if you see the the, the the almost Connacht winger's shoulder slump, you know that. He's, he's gone into a world of pain. They're, they have to go after him. Yeah. Goodhue has not established himself on the level of, like, say, Conrad Smith or, or the great New Zealand centres over the years because of injury and all that. He, is, he has looked brilliant coming through the ranks, like truly brilliant, but he could be a potential weakness. Their midfield is not settled, and that's, that's just a fact. They can't get Sonny Bill Williams back into the team, maybe because he was carrying injury. So, look, there's no doubt that there's, there's potential weaknesses, potential weaknesses in this all-black team. Jerry, I was just looking at a, a couple of factors, but one of them is, uh, obviously, you wrote a, a very good piece during the week about Nigel Owens and broke down, you know, the, the win-loss ratio for Ireland and New Zealand and his, his impact on games. Do you feel that Alain Roland will have had a word with the, uh, with the referees, given that we're now into the last eight matches of the tournament, uh, in terms of ensuring that they're the best spectacles they can be, that they'll park, they'll have parked all the stuff that went on in the pools, and that they will be there'll be a slight shift in emphasis or uh, in relation to um, the offside line, the breakdown, and uh, and obviously a continuing focus on tackle height. Well, I'd like to see the off, offside line um, uh, policed better than it's been policed to date. Um, I don't think there'll be a huge hit. They're in regular contact. Surely they've spoken to all four referees and all the officials involved in this weekend's games. But as for the breakdown, certainly when Japan play, I think they're one of the good few sides play. Um, side entry, clear outs, yeah. and uh, going off your feet is just allowed willy-nilly. And I don't think that's going to change. So I think we're going to go on seeing high-tempo games. I also think that if you look back four years ago, the quarterfinals were very entertaining matches. Mm-hmm. I don't think the, the likes of the All Blacks in Japan are going to you know, um, in any way curtail their very ambitious kind of brave brand of rugby. Certainly the Japanese wonderfully kind of fearless brand of rugby. I think they'll bring that to the game against the box. They have nothing to lose. Um, so I think you won't maybe get quite the change in dynamic you're thinking of, nor will it that become necessarily that negative. I think it'll still be, they'll still be fairly entertaining games. I think teams generally look at the Heineken Cup as well. The quarterfinals are often much more entertaining than sometimes the semifinals or certainly the finals. So I'd expect a pretty good weekend of rugby because Suddenly it's knocked out of the changing mindset and everybody will just go for it, I think, a good bit more. Um, and Owens, refereeing um, New Zealand and refereeing Ireland, yes, it's a, when he first looked, when, he always, when you saw Nigel Owens as the referee, you kind of went, oh, that's good. But then this week, that was my initial reaction again. They went, oh, wait a second. 
I was at both those games in 2013 in church in, in, in New Zealand and I was actually in the obviously in the Aviva Stadium when Ireland nearly won again in 2016 and both times Nigel Owens made crucial late 50-50 calls sure. against Ireland which you know denied Ireland wins Ireland could actually be going into this with the 3-1 head-to-head uh, -head record under Joe Smith rather than 2-all and so I think that it's the last 18 tests in a row they've won with Nigel Owens as referee whereas Ireland I think it's like 7 wins 5 defeats it was surprised to think that Ireland's record wasn't as good. But then again, he's been there for some of the great days in European Cup finals of life as well. I think he's a very, very good referee. Um, I'd be happy enough with his, him being a choice. He might not be as good as he was. And it's always, of course, the Nigel Owen show. As, mm -hmm. as when Steve Hans was first asked about him today, the All Blacks press comes said, well, you want to have a sense of humor. He's, got, he's pretty good at one-liners. Um, but yeah, he, was, he has been the referee of his generation. He might not be right now and he, as quite as good as he was. I still think he's a good referee. I mean, relatively speaking, in terms of the referees at this tournament, I think he's a good referee. Gav, I was going to ask you about the uh, what do Ireland need to do to, to beat New Zealand? Where What do you think they'll target? You've touched on it already in terms of the aerial game and, and targeting a little bit, targeting Jack Goodhue and obviously Sebu Reese on, on a wing. Where else do you think that they need to, to, um, to go after New Zealand? I think the blueprint's in place. I think what you saw in Chicago and then what you saw last November is the blueprint that Ireland used to beat this team. They combined that a bit. I've spoke, I was speaking to Jamie Heaslip a bit about it for tomorrow's paper, um, about how they will go, Ireland will go to the edges and they will kick long. The only thing, problem with the double jeopardy there is Bowden Barrett's waiting in the backfield now, while in other times it wasn't. But it's that you, they're not going to reinvent the wheel. There's going to be a couple of little Schmidt things that we haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. And he's definitely, definitely, and we, this is such a risk, but Schmidt has definitely kept his powder dry um, and played two completely different styles of rugby to beat Scotland and lose to Japan. So it didn't work out as planned. But he's, he did it on the premise that we're going to be in a quarterfinal against one of these un unbelievably good teams. And I do not want to show them everything. So how they win, John, is everybody shows up. It was Jerry actually said a good thing this week. He was like, Sh greatness shifts in teams. He was talking about how Paulie and, and Brian used to be the focal points of Ireland teams. And now it's Sexton and Murray. But that's changed now to, like, I think if Ireland win this game, the focal point of the team won't be just Sexton and Murray. It'll be Ringrose and Ryan and Sexton and Murray. It'll be the greatest performance that we've ever seen from an Ireland team. And there'll be seven, eight, nine players who will, will be going, oh, okay, they all played above themselves. Again, you need to see Peter Mahoney do what he did in November. Joe, again, referenced that today, how he got them out of jail. You need to see everything. Like, it's Sam Kane has to be outplayed. You, can, you go through it and, like, to a man, everyone has to show up and the bench have to show up and play the games of their lives as well. It's that simple. Okay. Jerry, what about the set piece? What are your thoughts on the set piece? Do you think that Ireland will go after, try and deny New Zealand a bit of ball at the line-out, get Peter O'Mahony up uh, and contest a bit of ball? For sure, for sure. That's the, one of the main reasons Peter O'Mahony is in this team and he had a really strong um, end game off the bench against the mole, which is good. Um, I think that, yeah, but I think they'll go after the Irish line-out mm -hmm. too. The Irish line-out, every set at the start of the tournament, I know it's a, a pool featuring Samoa and featuring Russia, but like, if everybody said at the start of this pool stages that Ireland were going to have 53 lineouts and win 51 of them, I think everybody would have taken that, given the brouhaha about Devon Toner being left out of the nervousness about the darts of Rory Best and the relatively new-ish second-row combination now established in Henderson and Ryan with Henderson calling the lineouts. It's been quite good and it's got the, it's got the lineup more going as well. I think it's like every aspect of the performance that Ireland produced in Gavin's nail up there. It's just 
Ireland, above all else, needs just unrelenting accuracy. They've got to win all their set pieces because it's a key, key part of what Ireland do well. When, when Ireland have got a load of penalties or a load of line-outs in the opposition 22, they're invariably going to win the game like they should against Small. They'll control it because the line-outs is, is, is the starting point to so much of what this team does well. It's where all their patterns emerge from. They get a strike play going. They keep the ball very well. And they're going to have to keep the ball superbly well against the All Blacks. Like, I think of the two wins, I think the one last November is perhaps more relevant. I don't see it being a five tries to four um, scoring fest in lovely warm weather in Chicago. It could be raining no. at the moment of the forecast for Saturday. I think it's more likely to be a one try to nil. That's, I mean, the last time the All Blacks have been kept tryless, it's going to need, need an almighty defensive performance. But most of all, it's just going to need that accuracy. It's just going to need unrelenting accuracy by everything they do, but particularly in not copying up possession. Because this team, this All Blacks team, transition from defence to attack, unlike any other team possibly in rugby history, they're that good. Better even the French in their pomp when the French used to counterattack them anywhere. These guys are every bit as dangerous. I think Bowden Barry, a fullback, actually makes them even more dangerous potentially than Damien McKenzie there. Mongo's got a good kicking game as well, so he's got the two playmaker options. It was seen vividly in July from that five-minute spell against the Blocks when they scored 17 points, their second try, starting with a cross kick deep inside their own half, Moringa to um, Seville Reese, uh, Savea's um, break, Aaron Smith giving them the support pass, then doing the clear out, across the line, Bowden Barrett through, puts, uh, puts you over for try. That's just vintage all blacks enough that they do better than anybody else. So Ireland can be unrelentingly accurate for 70, 75 minutes even, but in the five minutes that they're not, they could lose this game. That's how higher quality performances. Look, there's no just well, how big a win would this be? If Ireland beat the All Blacks in the World Cup quarter final back to back champions, it's hard to think of a bigger win in the history of Irish rugby as a one off. Gav, it was strange to hear Johnny Sexton refer to the negativity back home. I think most of us would have assumed he wouldn't even be aware of that. It, like he must be watching Eddie O'Sullivan on the RT player or something. Like it, that seemed to really take you know surprise him that there was a bit of gloom and doom maybe especially after the Russia game, even though, you know, a comfortable win. He said he was content with how things have gone in contrast to what he's picking up from, from home. Do, do you feel, feel that's the case? Or, like, do they feel they can step it up now? Or would those dodgy performances have impacted the kind of confidence going into this, you know? Uh, no, they're, uh, just from talking to them today, Mary, their confidence is good. I had a good chat with Conor Murray. Um, I think that whole perception that they have about the negativity is because they're getting their messaging secondhand. They have a media messaging strategy that is just off the off the wall positive, okay? Right. And whatever, you have to have a media strategy when you're doing so much media, and that's fine. That's just the way they've gone. And it's, it kind of opens them to ridicule sometimes. But look, they're not being told. They're getting relayed secondhand. This has been said. They're not being, they're not being told about the nuance of stuff from the media. Social media can, is just wild madness anyway. So it doesn't really matter. But I just think that they're, being, they're hearing stuff from friends, family, media managers. And they're being told in certain ways this has been done. It doesn't matter. And, and, and genuinely, it doesn't matter to them. I'm so, I was surprised he actually said that, but it, it makes no difference to them. They, the fact that they've managed to recover, the Samoa game was decent enough. They have recovered their confidence from the Japan game. They've, the, the weather is completely different. It's winter here now. Um, and from a week after that summer, just they're, they're really, really late summer and the humidity is all gone. They lost the Japanese game because... A, Sexton wasn't on the pitch, and B, they, the humidity just wiped out the pack, even the lads who came on in the last 20 minutes, and they couldn't. They couldn't. And Irish teams aren't good at pulling it out of the fire anyway. So, Jerry, I was going to ask you, both of you actually, to call the game. Who do you think will win and why? 
Um, a good mate of mine on the day before a match, I was trying to forecast, and I just rang him and said, I can't call this one. And he said, imagine if your life depended on it. And, you know, always <laughs> use that as a yardage. And if your life depended on it, you probably would go all blacks, realistically. Mm-hmm. What have they won? Seven out of eight quarterfinals. Ireland have never won a knockout match in seven attempts. They've won back-to-back World Cups, means they've won their last six knockout matches. And yet, curiously, that also could be an inspiration to this Irish team. I don't think there'll be any kind of baggage on them mentally at all. I actually think, if anything, it's going to inspire them. This is kind of almost like a free shot to some degree. They're underdogs. It suits the Irish mentality. We know that. Also, it's kind of bizarre that Ireland have such a bad knockout record in World Cups because so much of Irish rugby um, from schools levels and underage levels up is based on being knockout teams. It's a huge aspect. Um, of Irish rugby, and generally speaking, if you look at the provinces, particularly and so forth, Ireland has Irish teams have great records in knockout stages because it suits their mentality. And if I was to look at the odds and say Ireland are plus twelve, and I think they're about three to one or seven to two, I'm definitely going to have a nibble. I think I think Ireland have got a reasonably good thirty forty percent chance of winning that game, which is remarkable to think of going into a match with the All Blacks. What are they? Two wins out of the last three, two wins out of the last four under Joe Schmidt, actually outscoring the All Blacks over four games in a row. In history, cheapers. The one before that was 60 nil. Yeah. Um, I just think that if they, I think there's a big, big performance coming. And I think to arrive at this juncture with a little bit of form and momentum again, with all the key personnel pretty much there, um, if they get it right, yeah, I, I just, I think I don't quite agree with Gav. I think Anton Leonard Brown is playing the best rugby of his life. I think it's the linchpin of their midfield. I think. Bowden Barrett is going to be almost impossible to contain over 50, over 80 minutes because he actually has so much more scope to attack um, from fullback because it's the most unmarked position in the pitch. But if you, I, if you, yeah, I think probably the All Blacks will win, but I give Aaron a really good chance and I'm going to have a bet. Okay, I was just out in the bookies there while you were saying that, putting my <laughs> money on before this goes out live on air. 40 60, that's okay. I was, yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah. Gav, how about you? What's your gut yeah. feeling? Yeah. I think Ireland are going to win, John. Um, okay. so, much, again. so much, so much depends on the pack, the pack out playing the All Blacks pack. That means, that means Henderson being better than Whitelock. It means Omani being better than everybody in the back row. It's, it means that you got Artie Sarbia has to be anonymous. Barrett has to get no line breaks, no offloads, which is next to very, very difficult. It is possible though. We've seen this happen before. We've seen like uh, Robbie Henshaw torture uh, Van der Fly- uh, uh, torture and Josh Van der Flyer tortured the likes of Sam Kane on the gain line to the point that we got the most vicious response from them two weeks later after Chicago. Um, this They will be vicious. They will go, if let's say New Zealand have the kickoff, right? The next, the first five, ten minutes, as they were last November, are vital. Like, re, if they have the kickoff, Reid will, will run to tr- contest to try and win it back and they'll come thundering into, into the Ireland 22. And I think it was Last last year, Stander got over the ball and got a vital turnover. So it, it, you, something like that will have to happen. They'll have to be resisted. They can't be allowed to get scores back to back. But also, and Jerry touched on it, the mall. Ireland have to get a score from the line-out mall. They have to get. They have to play. It has to use the weather. It has to be a crappy European European night type of a game or November Test match type of game with everything going through Sexton. And then Ireland need a huge bit of luck. But it's possible. The, it, this team is the team that Schmidt wanted to get out onto the pitch. There's no Conan, there's no Cronin, there's no Dan Levy, there's no Bundy Aki. But you can handle losing those kind of players. They're not like the players that they lost before. They, they've got to where they wanted to go. It's the last time ever playing for Joe Schmidt. You think they're not going to turn up? Like to a man, Conor, Conor Murray was saying today, we, will, we are going to show up. We're going to perform. I think they'll win. 
Gav, I was just interested in that. You were talking to Conor Murray. Did uh, did the question arise about him making more breaks in a match or was that addressed at any stage? Because he's he's kind of, it's something that, that has uh, he used to do brilliantly uh, and he's done less and less of in recent times. Uh, did, I, did you have a chat with him about that or did that come up in conversation? No, I didn't ask him because we were in a huddle and I was going to save okay. for a piece I wrote. I genuinely think that uh, that's one of the, the thing, the tricks that Schmidt's been hiding. I know, I think Murray's had a few injuries and he's been trying to protect himself and he got a, he got a concussion there in the, in the warm-ups. So maybe he hasn't been putting him his body where he used to put it because of the neck injury. But... I definitely think that's kind of half the ruse that Ireland will pull on the All Blacks. He hasn't done his show and go for, what, a year? Yeah. He's going to box kick kick the letter off the ball and he's going to look for that little gap. He could, And maybe maybe they can draw the All Blacks in and go, well, he doesn't do it anymore because he's not the same player. He's definitely going to go for one and he's going to pick and choose it. Like If you watch Murray a couple of years ago or before the injuries and all that, come up to scrums, he was spinning the ball on his palm and he was just, the confidence was just oozing out of him. I felt that today talking to him. Okay. So yeah, I was going to ask you guys about the other three, there's other three quarterfinals going on this weekend and, and your thoughts, I suppose, starting, Jerry with you and the England-Australia match. Very interesting selection, wasn't it? And of course, Wallabies as well, changing things around. Um, it's quite extraordinary that uh, Eddie Jones has gone with George Ford and Owen Farrell as a 10-12 right up until the World Cup quarterfinal. And now he's changed horses and going back with Farrell to 10 and omitting Ford and bringing in Henry Slade. I think this is as much to do with um, Farrell's form at 12 as it is with Ford's form at 10. It's just to get the best out of Owen Farrell's body language. Doesn't appear to have been great in the English games I've watched. And Ford has been playing very good rugby. It does admittedly bring in Henry Slade, which gives them another dimension of 13 and left with a kicking game. And I think they will kick a lot, as you saw against England. They've got a, against Ireland, rather, Six Nations in February and other games since then. They've got a nice balanced kicking game with Elliot Daly there as well, another left foot option. Um, they're going with Courtney Laws in the second row, and I think that's understandable. I think he, I don't think George Cruz has been playing to his best form, what I've seen of them. And Laws does, as a flanker come lock, gives them probably a little bit more athleticism mobility around the pitch. And, of course, the big thing is for them, they've got both Unipolo brothers. So when you've got Billy, Mako and Manu Tulagi, you've got a great chance. They'll make them favourites to beat the Australians, to be honest. But uh, it's an interesting one. It's one of those that if England win and they get it right all the way through the knockout stages, Eddie Jones would be seen as a genius. If it goes pear-shaped against the Wallabies in the quarterfinal, um, he'll never be forgiven for it. OK, Gav, what about uh, France and Wales? Um, just just on the on the England Australia mm-hmm. one there, John. I think England are going to wipe them out with Tuilagi at twelve. We saw what happened when Tuilagi and Bonapola are carrying ball; they're just unstoppable. So I think we won't even see Pocock getting having much influence in that game. Wales, I've been to a couple of their games. France, you know, all the cliches, unpredictable, brilliant. And they were superb in the first half against Argentina. But Wales have been super consistent. They've got Liam Williams as a strike force in the back. All the par- parts of their machine are looking pretty hot at the moment. Um, yeah, so England, England and Wales to progress the, from those two games. Jerry, your feelings on Wales-France? Um, yeah, France played superbly in the first half against Argentina. Um, and they were um, excused duty against England. So they get a nice long run into this quarterfinal. There's something not quite with them. Their selection, again, is inconsistent. Uh, I just feel that Wales, don't, no less than Ireland, wanting, this is not wanting to be Joe Schmidt's last game or Rory Best's last game or Greg Feek's last game. I think the same with uh, Wales. They're just so fired up. I was actually on 
um, BBC Wales Radio this, this morning, their time, and um, this afternoon here in Japan. It's, they're making quite a big play at this in Wales, as you can imagine. I don't believe it's going to change the Welsh mindset going to that quarterfinal, but I, I firmly believe that Wales are primed for a big World Cup, and I would be surprised, hugely surprised, if France won that one. Okay, and finally, uh, will the fairy tale continue for Japan, or will the, the big bad box put an end to it? I didn't go to the open ceremony, but I've been to all of Japan's games and I've been to South Africa's and I thought what South Africa did against Italy in the opening 20 minutes meant there's no way Japan could beat them, even after all the wonderful stuff we've seen. But interestingly enough, I interviewed Conor O'Shea a couple of days ago and he's the guy who came out and gave one of the quotes of the tournament when he said the South Africans are the most unbelievably incredible, huge, humongous bunch of t- players they've ever seen in his life and their bench is even bigger when it comes on. And he go, he, he, the impression in moments after Italy were hammered by them was they're unbeatable. But then I spoke to him a few days ago and after he'd looked at it and analysed the video and all that, and he was like, he was like if we had have just taken our chances... We would have been, it would have been level twice in the game. So if Japan will definitely, they'll, all they have to do is find just parity in set piece, just get their own, win their own set piece, and they're going to create chances. And what's different from Japan and Italy, and Italy is Japan have been taking their chances. I think this is going to be the shock of shocks. I think they're going to catch them. It's a massive clash of styles. And if they can, they'll be hanging on for dear life. But trust me, from being three Japan games, the crowd matters. If they can, it's going to be, a, I think we're going to get like a 30, 40 extravaganza game because South Africa will have to come back at them. But uh, don't miss it. I think it's going to be a classic and I think Japan are going to beat them. Jerry, will it be Brighton Mark 2? Um, I think Brighton Mark 1 possibly counts against us. Okay. I think South Africa just caught off guard a little bit that day. Only they will be again. I think. They, they'd have been primed for Japan a bit like New Zealand were from, very, from, that, from the moment Japan beat Ireland they would have known what they might be getting in the quarterfinals and everything they've done since then would be building towards this game I watched Japan back again and wanted to get, get a handle on them because it's just what, what did they do really well and watched them again against Scotland last Sunday the way their ball carriers just explode onto the ball or just before contact it looks as if they're going like 10 miles an hour and then suddenly they're going at 20 miles an hour it's like it's very fearless. It's very brave. Um, brave blossoms, indeed. They just charge into contact and keep on pumping their legs in contact. And it, they're just generating this lightning quick ball. I don't know how their scrum half gets the breakdown as quickly as he does and gets the ball away. It's just He's as good as any scrum half in the tournament for us. Of course, when you've got all their skills then as well, we haven't seen their skills just before, but now when they've got a platform and set pieces and rook time, you see all these skill, skills coming through, like their hooker, Shiohore, or you see like... Uh, Matsubishi in the wing they're just brilliant players like, and uh, I brilliant. think he'll go Class, for it again yeah. I think it's very fearless fearless rugby fearless utterly fearless rugby and it's like accelerating a car when you see the you know you see the crossings coming down and what, do you stop or do you go for it the Japanese players just go for it every time and their intensity levels have been off the charts for 80 minutes unthinkable you have got to give them a really good chance there's going to be one or two shocks in this quarterfinal stages um, maybe it'll be Ireland and Japan who knows Jerry, I think it was yourself who had said in the early weeks in, in the World Cup, in some of the cities, there wasn't even a feeling that it was on, like, the, you know, it wasn't capturing the kind of imagination. Presumably that's all changed now uh, with, with Japan. Is there a good kind of buzz now because of how well the team has done? 
Certainly there was in Fukuoka. But then again, this is just like um, just one person's um, view in a country of 117 million people. Right. And now back in a capital city of 35 million people. So it's hard for one or even a group of 12 people or whatever, 20 people to accurately convey what it's like over here because we just don't think, and Tokyo is so massive that it, it is going to get lost a little bit more in Tokyo. But then that would be true of Twickenham in England. You know, when you go to London and you go a few miles away from Twickenham, you wouldn't necessarily have known the Rugby World Cup was on then. Sure. But certainly in Fukuoka, there were bars galore just rammed, just completely rammed with supporters and Japanese fans have bought into There seem to be more posters around. There seems to be much more, a greater sense of the World Cup on now than there was a month ago. And uh, loads and loads of Japanese people. Every Japanese person you meet says, where are you from? Ireland. Ah, Rugby World Cup. They just all seem to know what's going on now mm. um, in a different way. I think it has propelled the Brave Blossoms to a level within this uh, Japanese psyche that has never been remotely close to before. And that's proven inspiring for them as well. Gav, Jerry, thank you so much for your time. We'll wire you some money so you'll be able to stay out for the rest of the tournament, hopefully watching Ireland uh, uh, over the next couple of weeks. And uh, enjoy the weekend and enjoy the games. That would be helpful. Cheers, thanks. <laughs> Well, Mary, the two boys seem very chipper about the weekend. And I don't quite know whether confident. Yeah, too. yeah. That's the sake or uh, the time <laughs> of the day, or but they they both seem fairly confident yeah. that that Ireland can do this at the weekend. And so officially, Jerry is forty sixty possibility, and Gav is just go for it. Gav is whatever you want. That's right. <laughs> We'd obviously recommend that you don't go to the bookies and certainly don't put your mortgage no, on it at the weekend. No, but uh, yeah, the boys seem pretty upbeat and, and that'll do for us. Yeah. Um, at a time, we'll be back on, on Monday and we look forward to the uh, a celebration yeah. after Ireland's victory. Added Time is supported by Fitbit. With Amazon Alexa built in, your personalised sleep score and a five plus day battery life. Fitbit Versa 2 takes smartwatches to the next level.